It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, this is the official last session of the uh, Christian Mindset series. And uh, I mean, technically we started last fall and worked through a couple of verses. <laughs> and then well, we got back this spring <clears throat> and uh, actually have uh, finished walking through this passage. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, what I'd like to do is I want to just read this entire section again just so it's uh, fresh and maybe just as a... Uh, way to remind ourselves of the, the richness of, of this word <clears throat> from Paul. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, I want to read it starting in verse 4 and uh, read down through verse 9, and we're going to be looking again at verse 9 uh, this morning. Uh, but Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, what an incredible just declaration. And again, if you haven't been walking through the series, I'd encourage you to go back at some point and just listen uh, because the whole flow and the tenor of what Paul is saying from verse 4 down to verse 9, I think is so essential for the days in which we live. Uh, and I know I've said this probably countless times, <clears throat> but as a believer, as a, as, a, as a Christian, how we handle our mind, how we handle our life is so critically important, especially in days that are crazy, and they are, especially in days that are dark, and they are, especially in days where, where it seems like the culture is pressing against the reality of, of the church, and, and they are, you realize it's becoming all the more essential, and it's always been essential, but it's become all the more essential in these days uh, for us to have a guard upon our hearts and our minds. Uh, last time, as we were getting together, we, we began to look at the beginning of verse 9. And uh, again, the beginning of verse 9, Paul says this, As for the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Uh, and just for a quick review, uh, since we just kind of flew through that, it's interesting that Paul gives four different things, uh, things you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, says Paul. Uh, and again, if you, want to, if you want the breakdown of those, you can listen to the last episode. But what's interesting is the whole tenor of what Paul is saying in those four words is, look at my life. <clears throat> I'm not merely talking a good talk and not living it, I'm actually living this thing. And as you look at verse 4 down through verse 8, it's interesting that Paul isn't just giving a great thought process. He's not just giving a great, um, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians could live this way? That when he's actually talking about rejoicing and living with gentleness and not living with any anxiety, but rather letting the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds. Why? The Lord is near and, and taking everything to him in prayer. Paul says that is actually the reality of my life. That I'm not, I'm not just talking a big talk and therefore, you know, do what I say, don't do what I do. 
Paul says, if you examine the very depths of my very being, I'm not just saying these things, I'm living these things. Which I think is so critical. Because the call for us is, would we in this generation set the example? Could, could we allow this onlooking world to hear the things that, or, or that which we've taught, uh, that which we've given, that which we've spoken, that which we have demonstrated in our life to this world, could this world look at our lives and go, you know what? You're not just talking a big talk. You're actually living this Christian life to the fullest. And wouldn't it be amazing if we were setting the example in this culture for what a Christian actually looks like? And in a culture where it seems like hypocrisy is rampant, and in a, in a culture where it seems like there's a lot of fakeness in the church, wouldn't it be amazing if there's something real and this world once again knew that God was sitting upon the throne of this world because they saw him in us? And we didn't just talk Christian words, but we actually lived Christian lives. I, I, I desperately want that. I don't want to just, I don't want to just preach messages. I want to live the message. I don't want to just give a good thought. I actually want, I want to have it in totality. And so if I can encourage all of us, could we just not be satisfied with reading? Uh, could we not be satisfied with just information? Could we actually press into the realities and actually have this in practicality and actuality and experience and not just merely esteem the word, but actually begin to live this thing out? Uh, one thing I didn't mention <clears throat> in the last message uh, that I've just been freshly pondering is you realize that if the world is actually going to learn, receive, hear, and see in our lives the reality of the gospel, that actually means we've got to live it out in front of the world. That we can't hide. We, we can't go into our little holy huddles and hide from culture and become a little monastery and be like, okay, the world can stay out there and we'll be in here and we'll have this holy huddle. You realize the only way for the world to see the reality of Jesus in our lives is that we have to be in front of the world. Now, we are not to be like the world, but we are to be in the world, just not of it. Or, as I'd prefer to say, we are to be in the world, but the world is not to be in us. Wouldn't it be amazing if just how you lived your life and how you were down at the grocery store and how you were down at your job and how you were down at the school and how you lived in your family and how you even ran across town if you're jogging, which I don't know why you do that, but hypothetically, if you were going to jog, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be amazing if every activity of your life was somehow a demonstration of the reality of Jesus, that, that we really were an image bearer, that as we were created in God's image, again, we are not the image. Uh, we, are, we are not the light. We are the moon that reflects the reality of the sun. And wouldn't it be amazing if we were this image bearer to this world that when they looked at us, they didn't just see us, they saw Jesus. The other thing I was pondering with this, this idea of living this out in front of the world and the learn received, heard, and seen in me stuff was the fact that you realize if this is not, I don't know, this is going to come out wrong, so take this gently, be gracious. I'm not saying you're going to be doing it perfectly. I mean, our call is to holiness. Our call is to perfection. We're to be holy as he is holy. He's calling us to live on his level. He's given everything we need for life and godliness so we can perfectly do this. Everyone okay? <laughs> that being said, you probably won't. So that being the case, do you realize how you handle falling in the mud and how you handle mistakes and how you handle those moments of irritability and, and how you handle those moments of imperfection and how you handle sin, it actually matters. 
In other words, we shouldn't set off to sin. We, we should not desire to sin. We should have no desire to, to live in imperfection or a lack of holiness. We should desire to live a holy, godly life. We've been given everything we need for a holy, godly life. But in the moments where you don't live that way, you realize how you handle that also reflects this reality. Uh, for example, uh, you're exhausted and you didn't mean to, but you came home and you were rather sharp with one of your family members. And you didn't, you weren't, you weren't, you didn't go home going, oh, I'm going to be sharp with my family members. It was more of just, you know, those times where you just, you didn't intend to, it just came out of you. You realize how you handle those moments is an opportunity to reflect Jesus. And wouldn't it be amazing if we as believers walked in humility, we walked in repentance, we walked in reconciliation, and, and we were quick we were quick to come to people that we hurt and we were quick to make things right and we were quick to confess sin and we're not allowing this stuff to reside in our life. But as we handle these issues and problems and stuff that God is sanctifying out of our lives, you realize that also becomes an opportunity for God, or sorry, for the world to see God in our lives. And so just, just for clarity's sake on the last message, I'm not saying, uh, I am saying you can perfectly do this. Because you've been given everything. You've been given Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit. So you can do this. You can walk in victory. You can have freedom. You can triumph. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Please contain your excitement. That is good news. <laughs> you know? However, that being said, we are still being sanctified. None of us have, have reached perfection. And so there are going to be times where we may not do it properly. As such, even how you do those moments matter in terms of how you respond to that. Uh, recently, uh, I was talking to, uh, to Sandy, and Dan and Sandy are now living at my house. And, and it was interesting, Sandy and, Sandy and I were just kind of processing through something. And, and she just said, Nathan, I, I, didn't, I didn't handle that well in this, in this situation. And, uh, and I, I had to go make it right. And I was like, Sandy McConaughey? That's <laughs> just kidding. That's not what I did. I mean, S Sandy is one of the most godly women I've ever met in my life. And yet she's still being perfected. She still makes mistakes. Even Dan McConaughey, if you could believe it, Eric and Leslie Ludi are not perfect. Oh, I know. <laughs> Nathan Johnson certainly is not perfect. And I, yes. <laughs> yeah, for those who are listening to the audio, we just heard a whole bunch of amens. Uh, but... But isn't it interesting that we're all being sanctified? We're all becoming more and more Christ-like. We, we are all being more and more transformed into his image. But there are still times that things come out of our lives that shouldn't come out. And that's not because we're living in rebellion. It's just, there's just that sin stuff that God's weeding out of us. And, but wouldn't it be amazing as the world looks at your life, how you handle those issues, how you handle sin, how you handle the mistakes, how you handle the the imperfections, how you handle those irritability moments, how you handle those times where you just need to repent and ask for forgiveness, wouldn't it be amazing, even in those moments, the people saw the reality of Jesus? Now, <clears throat> all of that brings us to the very last statement that Paul makes here at the end of verse 9. And he comes in this beautiful summary statement. In fact, some people would even say it's like the doxology 
uh, if you will, of, of this statement. He's kind of given this last benediction, if you will, uh, of this whole passage. And here's what Paul says. And the God of peace will be with you. And if you just hear the whole tone of what's happening here, he's saying, hey, here's what your life is to look like. Verses 4 down through verse 7. Uh, sorry, down, four, to, 4 down to verse 6. In verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, hey, think on these things. And then verse 9, hey, follow my example. Set your, hey, set the example. And you know what begins to happen all this? The God of peace, guaranteed, will be with you. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if you realized that the God of peace is always with you? That when you walk out into this world, there's no reason to fear. Why? Because the God of peace is with you. That in any trial, any circumstance, any tribulation, any issue, there, there can actually be a rest. Why? Because the God of peace is with you. Now, as we were looking at verse 7, which says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, will guard your hearts and minds. Uh, we looked at this idea of peace, and just for the sake of uh, well, my guess is everyone's probably forgot all the stuff we walked through earlier. So I just want to give a quick rehash of this idea of peace. Uh, when I think of peace, uh, I think of sitting on a beach, perfect 70-degree weather, a cup of lemonade in my hand, a good book, ocean waves coming in. Some of you are mountain people, so I, I understand. So maybe there's a mountain next to the beach, <laughs> cup of lemonade. I don't know how that works, but I go down to New Zealand. There, there you go. There's a beach. There's mountains. A couple of lemonade. Hobbits are running everywhere. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be, it'd be amazing. Uh, but that's that's not the idea of peace biblically. <clears throat> and and I, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, 91 times in the New Testament, the word peace shows up in the New Testament, and it shows up in every single book of the New Testament except First John. And what's interesting is the Greek understanding of peace. Uh, let me just give you this definition. It means harmonious relations and freedom from disputes, harmony, tranquility. But what's interesting is obviously that, that, that whole idea is contained in this idea of peace. But Paul, who is a good Jew, is obviously pulling in the Hebrew construct or the idea of shalom, this idea of peace. Uh, shalom, even to this day in Israel, is the greeting. So if you say hi and goodbye, it's, it's hey, shalom, shalom, Right? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a greeting of blessing. It's a greeting of, hey, may the peace of the Lord be upon you kind of idea. And in Hebrew, the idea of peace contains this idea of well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness. But I like this one. Gives this idea of completeness or wholeness. So when we're talking about peace, uh, if I can maybe even say it this way, when you get into the biblical idea of peace, peace is not a something Peace really is a someone. And you, you can't get out of that biblically. In other words, yeah, peace is this thing that you can receive. Yeah, that's true. But the reality is, is when you get to the very heart of what actual peace is, peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. In fact, you, you see this all through Scripture. Uh, let me just give you a few examples. Uh, Isaiah 9.6. Uh, Isaiah, talking about the coming Messiah, Jesus, says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And you realize that he is the Prince of Wholeness. He's the Prince of Completeness. He's the, the, he's the Prince of Shalom. 
that he doesn't merely have shalom, he is shalom itself, that he is peace. Uh, <clears throat> as you come into Romans 15, 33, uh, I love this over and over and over, and you even see it in our passage. Uh, the writers of the New Testament talk about, now the God of peace will be with you. And it's describing who God is. It's a character attribute that he is a God of peace. Not that he has peace, it's that he is peace. That in and of himself, his character, his nature is that of peace. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, mend your ways, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. See, he's the God of peace. He ha this is him. Uh, Hebrews 13, 20, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that is Jesus our Lord. See, he is the God of peace. In fact, Paul is really strong on this in Ephesians. And uh, we, we walk through this in our Ephesians study, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and the fact that all the, all the division, all the animosity has been torn down and God has taken these two groups and melding them into one. And in the middle of all that, in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says that he, Jesus, himself is our peace. So it's not that he has peace and has given you peace. Yeah, that's true. But more, more it is the idea that he is peace and he's given you himself. That in your life, Jesus becomes your peace. So it's not that he hands you a pill called peace. And you're like, oh, finally, <laughs> I get peace. It's that as, as the Holy Spirit resides in our lives, the very Spirit of Jesus, he himself, is our peace. Or in Galatians chapter 5, with the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That these are merely the outflows of the life of the Spirit within you. That, that when you're in the Spirit of God, when you have Jesus in your life, he is going to produce peace. So you've got to get a hold of this idea that outside of Jesus, there is no peace. Yeah, there may, there may be moments where you go, oh, it feels restful. But ultimately, if you ever want to truly experience the reality of peace, you have to have Jesus. Because there ultimately is no peace outside of him because he is peace itself. Man, that's so phenomenal. Now, when you come back into our passage, Philippians 4, 9, look again at what Paul is saying. He's saying that this God of peace will be with you. Uh, by the way, for those who are really interested, this idea will be with you, and the nerds, please contain, your, please contain yourself. Uh, the verb is a future indicative which no, nobody got excited. But what that means, an indicative <clears throat> is a simple statement of fact, which means this is not up for question. Uh, this isn't maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. If I squint, maybe, maybe this is true. See, there's a promise contained in here that, the, that you can take, take this to the bank. This is a guarantee. This is an absolute assured promise of God that the God of peace will be with you. So you don't have to question it. This isn't, I, I can't earn it. Uh, I don't have to grip my teeth and do something to, to, to somehow obtain it. The reality is, if you have Jesus, 
then the promise in Scripture is that the God of peace is with you. Now that word, with, <clears throat> it's the Greek word meta. It's a preposition. And, <clears throat> man, excuse me. It has this idea of with, after, among, in company with, behind, beyond, after. Uh, that's just some different ways you could translate the word. Uh, it's just a preposition. But what's interesting is when you get into this idea of the word with, meta, in, in the Greek, it denotes two things. Oh, love this. Number one, it's this idea of association. In other words, it's the company in which something takes place. Uh, so when you say, um, I am with the Kiwanis Club, right? You are associating yourself with that group. I am with this particular denomination. You are associating yourself with that group. Uh, if you say, hey, I'm in a relationship with Bertha, right? Then I'm associating myself with that individual, which, which then means uh, our reputations are now being pressed upon each other. So when you think of Bertha, now you have to think of me. And when you think of me, now you have to think of Bertha, right? Because I'm in association with. Does that make any sense? Isn't it neat that the God of peace is willing to be in association with us? That is such a crazy thought to me that, I mean, I get the benefit of all this, by the way. I mean, I get his reputation. I get his character. I get his, but you realize he wants to share in my life and my character and which tells you something, the way that I live actually reflects upon Jesus. And when this world looks upon my life, how I live is a testimony of his life. And what's interesting, when you go back to the old, in the old covenant, <clears throat> why did God give the Ten Commandments? Haven't you ever wondered that? It's just like, why did God give those ten rules? Is it because, well, this, is, this really helps society. If we don't murder each other, it actually helps us live in community. Okay, that is true. Lying actually breaks down community. Yeah, that's true. But that's not actually the reason why God gave the Ten Commandments. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? Well, because the Ten Commandments is a reflection of him. And he says, look, you are my people. <clears throat> I have chosen you, and you are a reflection of my life. I'm not a murderer, says God. So you can't murder. Because when the world looks at you, and if you murder, then you're telling the world that I'm a murderer. I'm not a murderer, so you can't murder. God says, I'm not a liar, so therefore you can't lie. Hey, I'm, I am not an adulterer, so you cannot commit adultery. So it's interesting, as, as you walk through the commandments, the reason God gives the commandments is because we are the image bearers to this world of him. And we are to reflect his life. And as such, when the world looks upon your life as a Christian, you realize you are the one that bears his name. You are called a Christian, which means you are the demonstration or the reflection or the image of Jesus to this world. And so your life then, because you become associated with him, is going to reflect upon him. But in a like manner, because you're in association, his life should reflect through you. Isn't that a neat thought, though? That the God of peace is willing to be associated with us? Who are we compared to him? That's mind-boggling to me. Uh, but it's not just an association idea. It's also a, a location or a placement idea. Uh, this idea of meta or this idea of with. <clears throat> uh, for example, I'm currently with you. Why? Because I'm in this room with you. So it, it, it bespeaks of location. 
And you realize that's also true in this passage, that the God of peace is going to, in terms of a location, be with us. Why? Because he's going to indwell us. He lives inside of us, folks, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that, again, there's this idea with this idea of the meta, the, the with, that there's this association with, that we associate with him, he associates with us. We're reflecting in, in one sense where we're so tight together. <clears throat> uh, but there's also this idea that he is wanting to be with us, that he is in me and I am in him, kind of a concept. So think about this. As you come into verse 7, if you, if you look, look back a couple verses, it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So one of the promises is that the peace of God, which again is not a something, it is a someone, that that peace is really going to come inside of your life and is really going to guard your heart and your mind, which is a phenomenal reality. That this is, yes, you've got to walk in obedience. Yes, yes, you've got to press in. Yes, you need to put a guard upon. You, yes, you need to come in agreement with the word. That's all true. But you realize that there's a rest in the passage. Why? Because he's doing the work. He's doing all the heavy lifting. That he and his peace is going to come in and really put a sentinel around your soul and he's going to guard your heart and your mind. But not just that. You realize that, according to verse 9, he is willing to be in association with you and he wants to actually be with you in terms of locality because he lives inside of you. So he wants to lead and guide us in this thing. So that being said, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about my allergy. Allergies in my <clears throat> voice thing. Uh, but that being said, let me give you three ideas with this concept of God's presence of peace. In other words, if, if, if the promise in the passage is that his presence is going to be your peace, that his very life is going to be your peace, let me give you three quick ideas associated with this idea of peace. Uh, number one is this idea of the propitiation of peace. You'll notice I'm doing the preacher thing that everything all has to start with P. So, sorry. Uh, the propitiation of peace. And it goes to this idea of salvation and reconciliation. Now, uh, when you get into this idea of shalom, this idea of peace, it's interesting that the biblical idea rarely is separated from this idea of salvation uh, from the Messiah, from, from Jesus. And let me just give you a quote. I, I, I stumbled across this, and I thought it was really helpful. Uh, but one scholar said it this way. He said, Peace, in the biblical sense, is nearly synonymous with messianic salvation. Through Jesus Christ, God will bring the condition of peace, reconciliation with God, and harmony in all relationships. Peace is not so much a subjunctive tranquility as it is an objective reality created by the reign of God through the Messiah. The promise of God's presence assures the church that God, the source and the sustainer of peace, will lead them to experience the reality of reconciliation with God and one another. The God of peace will bring good order and harmony in their community of worship of God and in their life together. And if you just went, I have no idea what that just said. What he's saying is that when you come in this idea of peace, it is always associated with this idea of salvation by Jesus at the cross. And what was that whole idea of propitiation, this whole idea of salvation, salvation all about? Was bringing harmony, reconciliation with us back to God because of our sin and reconciliation and harmony with each other. 
wouldn't it be amazing if the God of peace did that in your life? That one of the realities of his presence in your life was that you get to walk in the reality of salvation day by day by day and experience the harmony and the salvific work with him. <clears throat> Excuse me, with him. Around here, we often talk about the difference between big S salvation and small S salvation. Uh, big S salvation, you know, we clarify is uh, I realize that I'm a sinner and I desperately need salvation. So I come before God and I say, God, hey, I, I agree with your word. I am wrong. You are right. Hey, I've been living in rebellion. So would you forgive me? Will you become the Lord and the King of my life? And I experience salvation. That's big S salvation. That man, I am saved. But do you realize that from that point forward, you need salvation? That, that yes, you were saved, but I love how salvation is spoken in Scripture. It's spoken in the past, the present, and the future. That I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. That there's this continuation of the salvific thing. Now, that's not big as salvation stuff. And there's, we're not talking pop in, pop out kind of stuff. We're talking... Woo, I'm saved. But today, I need salvation, folks. Hey, I've got things going on in my life. I've got temptations. I've got you to deal with. I mean, I've just, I've got things. I've got, I need salvation. Amen. You know? Hey, some of, you, some of you are heading home. Hey, there's trials and tribulations, you know, on, on the, in the near horizon. So what do we need? We need salvation. Hey, there's going to be that one person that just knows how to push your buttons and hit enter. So what do you need in that moment? Salvation. And we're not, it's not, we're not talking big as salvation. We're, we're talking about that daily movement of grace in your life that brings salvation. And you realize you can have that because the, the God of peace is with you. And wouldn't it be amazing to walk in the fun, just this phenomenal reality of harmony and reconciliation and forgiveness and salvation with your God because he's always with you? That, that if you do start going off, one direction of the narrow way that he, as a kind shepherd, is willing to just boop, 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 bring you back in and just keep you on the path and, and you won't go to the left or go to the right, that you'll actually go down the narrow way. Why? Because he's with you. And, and he is constantly sanctifying your life and he's constantly purging you of sin and he's constantly removing those attitudes and he's constantly removing those, those motives that are just selfish and he's, just, he's, he's purging us of all the junk. And we need, we need salvation today, folks. And you can have that because the God of peace is with you. And wouldn't it be great if it wasn't just with God, but we could actually have that reality with the people around us, that we can actually walk in harmony and reconciliation with the body of Christ, with each other, with our families. Well, that's possible. Why? Because the God of peace is with you. And again, this idea of peace is always tied to this idea of salvation, this idea of harmony and reconciliation, both with God and with others. He wants to do that in and through us. So if the God of peace is with us, we can live in the reality of salvation every day. Yes, big as salvation, but also the daily salvation stuff and have a constant harmony and reconciliation with God and others. Do you know how good that is? Do you know how phenomenal Christians have it? Oh, tell your faces. This is, this is good news. Uh, so not just the propitiation of peace, number one, uh, but number two, in the passage, this idea that God of peace will be with you, there is the promises of peace. I, this just tickled me. 
as you start looking at this idea of where this phrase, God of peace, shows up, do you realize that there's all these promises associated with the God of peace? So as you follow that statement through the New Testament specifically, and you start to look at the context, uh, a lot of times the context is, hey, there's strife, there's a struggle, there's a problem going on. So what happens? The God of peace is smack dab in the middle of that. Uh, some of the other context is, uh, Paul is talking about the, the God of peace, and then he puts this content around it, which contains promises. Let me give you some examples. Uh, <coughs> man, <coughs> so powerful, it's choking me up. Uh, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Uh, there is this promise of sanctification. L listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace, there it is, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you get this promise that the God of peace is bringing about your sanctification. That's a great promise. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, you have this idea of victory and triumph in Romans 16 verse 20. Uh, Romans 16 20 says, the God of peace, get this, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So you have this God of peace who's doing what? Bringing victory and triumph in your life. Well, I've got a special problem. No, you don't. You have a special God. Well, I've got a special habit, an addiction. I can't get out of whatever this is, my little sin. What are you talking about? Do you realize that he has made you more than a conqueror? He has promised freedom and life and joy and peace. And the promise is, if he's with you, he's going to crush Satan underneath your feet. That is a phenomenal thought. So I don't care what your habit is. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your pet thing is. You realize he can bring victory and triumph. Well, it's my personality. Let him change your personality. I'm just a worrier. No, you're not. <laughs> you have a good God. Will you let him change your anxiety? Well, I just have a lust problem. No, you don't. Not if you let Jesus get into the middle of it. So you realize we can't walk in victory and triumph. Why? Because the promise is he's with us. Thank you. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, there is a promise of intimacy and relationship. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, mend your ways, be comforted, be light-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Which is an echo of our passage here. That the God of peace is going to be with you. What is it, what is it speaking of? Relationship. What is it speaking? Intimacy. What is it speaking of? Closeness. It's speaking of the fact that he wants to get inside of you, and you're in Christ, and Christ wants to be in you. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, there's this whole idea of yes and amen. Listen to this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we can utter our amen to God for his glory. Think about this. The God of peace has given exceedingly great and precious promises, says the writer of Hebrews. Which means that every blessing and promise that God has for you 
which by the way is found in Jesus, is yours because he's with you. Uh, when we were doing our study of Ephesians chapter 1, it's interesting that all the blessings that he talks about in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, every single blessing that God has for you is found in Jesus. Because everything we need for life and godliness is in Jesus. That, that, hey, when I need love, God doesn't give me a pill called love. He gives me Jesus, who is my love. Hey, when I need joy, he doesn't give me a pill called joy. He gives me Jesus, who is the fullness of joy. Hey, when I need peace, he doesn't give me a pill called peace. He gives me the Prince of Peace. Hey, when I need patience, I get Jesus. Hey, when I need gentleness, I get Jesus. So isn't it phenomenal that every exceeding great and precious promise in Jesus is yes and amen? It is, it is, it is sure. Why? Because it's in him and he is with us. Isn't that a phenomenal thought? So you get this idea that the God of peace will be with you and there is promises associated with that. That there is triumph, there is hope, there is joy, there is freedom, there is intimacy. There's just, there's life abundant. Why? Because it's all Jesus. So again, you have this idea of the propitiation of peace, this salvation, harmony, reconciliation idea. We have the promises of peace, that every promise that God has given you is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And number three, and we keep harping on this, but there's this idea, I just wanted to emphasize it. It's this idea of the presence of peace, which is all about the nearness and intimacy. Now, when you go back up a few verses and you look at verse 5, Paul, in this flow, says the statement, the Lord is near. And again, in that study, we were talking about the fact that it's talking about the fact that there's, there's two ideas. One, the fact that is, he's returning soon, that the time is near. It's approaching this time aspect. But then there's, again, this locality idea where the location of God is near. He's pressing in upon us. He's, he's living within us. He is near. He's here, folks. And you realize that, that there's this concept in the passage that the God of peace is going to be with you that means it's going to be full of nearness and intimacy and relationship and just oh, tightness kind of stuff, relational stuff, that we actually get to experience the reality of the living God. Again, I already read this a couple times, but 2 Corinthians 3, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, that the God of love and peace will be with you. What would happen if you begin to realize that all that is true in your life? That, that there's nothing that you have to go through without him? That whether you feel like he's there or doesn't feel like he's there, that, hey, that's irrelevant because he's with you. That is Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, the promise is, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave or forsake you. And when you look at the Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 passage, we don't, we don't have this well in our English but there are seven negations in that passage. Uh, five in, in, in the no word that shows up before all that. There's two in the grammar. And when, when you look at the passage, the writer of Hebrews says, do you realize that he himself has told you, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave or forsake you. And you realize any time something's repeated, it's there for emphasis. So I think he's really trying to tell us He'll never leave or forsake us. Therefore, we can boldly proclaim, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? 
See, what if you could go off into your world with that confidence? See, what if you could face every trial with that surety? See, what if you could look at all the temptations and trials and tribulations and difficulties and circumstances and COVIDs of your life and just go, wow, Lord, you're so good. You are with me. And you are peace itself. That I don't have to live in anxiety. That I can actually rejoice always. Why? Because the God of peace is with me. That I can live with gentleness and not demand my own rights and actually give mercy and grace and love to the people around me. Why? Because the God of peace is with me. That that there's no reason to be anxious about anything, but rather by everything, by prayer and supplication, I I can come before the God of peace and, and make my requests. Why? Because he's with me. And therefore, I can talk to him all throughout the day. And I can involve him in everything that I'm doing. And that same God of peace is going to come and his peace that surpasses all understanding is going to guard my, hearts and my, guard my heart and my mind in Jesus. And I can actually think the way a Christian is supposed to think. And I can just go crazy in my thought process with all that is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Why? Because the God of peace is with me. And wow, I, I, I can't actually be the example in the world today of what a Christian looks like, not because I have it in my pockets, not because I even have the talent, not because I'm wise, not because I even have the ability to pull this thing off, because I don't, but it's because I have the God of peace. And I can live an impossible Christian life because I have the God who delights in impossibilities living with me, in me, through me. Do you realize this could change everything in your life? If you began to realize that the God of peace is actually with you, that he's willing to associate with you, he's willing to just get in your locale and live inside of your life. Wouldn't it be amazing as, as, as there's this bait for anxiety and, and fear? Wouldn't it be amazing if some temptation came before you today and rather than going, oh no, I don't know if I'm going to be able to withstand this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Wouldn't it be amazing if you just turned your gaze to the God of peace and just said, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, in and of myself, I, 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 I can't but you can. I've I've said it several times, but I love that quote by Ian Thomas. Love that quote by Ian Thomas. You can't. He never said you could. He will. He always said he would. That's good. So quit trying. Quit trying to dig down in your own pockets to pull this thing out. Quit, Quit trying to grit your teeth and live the Christian life. Yes, you've got to walk in obedience. Yes, you've got to, you've got to, align yourself with him. Yes, you got to come under the authority of the word. But what if it was the God of peace who lived inside of you who wanted to bring this about? And you just needed to focus and rest in him. Yes, you got to walk in obedience. But hey, it's his resource inside of you. What if you were carried along by the Holy Spirit? What, what if you wanted to do a mighty work through your life? Not, not because of your grit and determination and your wisdom. Not because of your good looks or your, your talent or your whatever. See, what if this was actually all about him? What if this was all about the God of peace? And that God of peace, who's not out there looking at you from a distance, that God of peace is now indwelling your life through his spirit. Boy, that would change everything in our lives, wouldn't it? We could be more than our conquerors in Christ Jesus if the God of peace was with us. We could just walk in victory and triumph and freedom if the God of peace was with us, was within us. Wouldn't this just change our relationships? Wouldn't this change our family lives? Wouldn't this change our churches? Wouldn't you think this would change our communities? 
I think this would even change our world if we began to live as if, in fact, the God of peace was with us, that the God of peace lived within us, that the God of peace wanted to do something through us. Could I encourage you to live that way? There is tremendous promise in his presence of peace. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to live this thing. I don't want to just esteem a good thought life. I want to have a good thought life. Uh, let me close with this. Isaiah 26.3. Love this. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him, speaking, speaking of God, God, you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What if that was the reality of our lives? That God will keep us in absolute perfect peace when we keep our mind, our thought on him. We're talking about the Christian mindset. If we keep our mind on him, saturated, soaked, focused on him, if we actually lean our weight upon him and actually trust in him, he will keep us in perfect peace. Why? Because he is perfect peace. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we do love you. Uh, Lord, thank you that you've not uh, just resigned us to think like everyone else. That as Christians we can as Christians, we have the opportunity to have a Christian mindset. That we do not have to think, we do not have to live, we do not have to talk like the world around us. But that we can actually live on a whole other level. Lord, we realize it's not because of us. It's not because we have the ability in and of ourselves. It's not because we have the talent. It's not because we have the resource. It's not because we have the anything. It's because we have the God of peace with us. And Lord, that doesn't even, doesn't even mean you're surrounding us, though that is true. It doesn't even mean you go before us, though that's true. It's not that you're the rear guard, though that is true. Lord, the reality is that the God of peace lives within us. So Lord, the God who, ha who is perfect peace, would you be our peace? Lord, would you let us live in the reality of salvation and reconciliation every moment of every day? Lord, would you let us experience the fullness of your promises because we have you and perhaps most preciously, let us cherish your presence, your nearness, your, your intimacy, the richness of life with you. That somehow, and it's so mind-boggling to me, Jesus, that, that you're not just out there somewhere and we, we're to serve you. You actually want relationship, oneness, intimacy with us that you want to get smack dab in the middle of my life through your spirit and you want to be the resource of my life and you want to bring about the reality of your life to this world through me and, and you, you want to use me as a, as a poured out vessel to bring good news. And Lord, all the promises in you are yes and amen and, and we have access to them through you. Lord, what would it look like to walk in the reality of that? Lord, what, what would that change in my mind? What would that change in my relationships? What would that change in my home? What, what would that change down at my job? What would that change down at the church? How would that change the community? 
if I begin to live with the reality that the God who is perfect peace lives within me. Lord, we live in troubled days and it seems like things are ramping up. Uh, especially for us in the West. But Lord, the promise is that you are with us. So will you keep us in perfect peace as we keep our minds stayed upon you, as we put our trust upon you? And Lord, as I just look back upon just this series, this study, and Lord, I'm overwhelmed by the reality of what you're wanting to do in and through our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just esteem this Christian mindset, we wouldn't even esteem the Christian life, we would live it. That we would be image bearers to this world, a reflection of the reality of of you, that when the world sees us, they don't see us, they see you. Not because we're you, we get that, Jesus, but because you are so big and full and being demonstrated in our lives that the world can't help but see you. That the only explanation for how we are living our lives is Jesus. So, Lord, whatever that takes to pull off in our lives, we, we give you permission and we come in agreement with your word and just say, Lord, will you change and mold and shape and transform, do whatever is necessary to bring about the fullness of your life in and through us. We love Jesus. Oh, thank you that we can have the mind of Christ reigning in our lives. And thank you for your peace, for you. Give you all the glory. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.